ask you to bless this evening as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead. Show us what you would want us to see from all from the scripture. And we ask you to be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Second Chronicles, chapter 25, starting at verse 1. We've just had the death of Joash, um, and he was killed by his servants. So, and here we have verse, chapter 25, verse 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Now it came to pass when the kingdom was established that to him that he slew his servants that had killed the king his father, but he slew not their children, but did as was written in the law of the book of Moses, where the law, Lord commanded, saying, The father shall not die for their children, neither shall the children die for their fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. I'm going to stop just there for a moment. So we have Amaziah coming to power. And the very first thing that's kind of interesting to look at is his, his, his mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. So he has a Jewish mother. And so did Joash. They had a Jewish mother. And this is one of the things you're seeing oftentimes with the good kings is they had a mother and father generally that led them in the, in the right direction or at least a godly mother. And this is something that's very important, is the, the relationship of a family to their children, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it doesn't, it doesn't create perfect children that follow God, not always, but the chances are better that they're going to follow God when they are raised by godly parents living out the life in front of their children. Now, why do I say living out the, the uh, godly life before their children? Because if the children don't see it, they're not going to follow it. And they need to see it. They can't just be, we go to church Sunday morning. Believe me, I've dealt, I, I taught Sunday school for a long time, and I heard all the horror stories of pastors and leaders of the church that did not lead their families godly all week long. And the kids told us. Whether we wanted to know it or not, they told us. You know, you talk about something, well, that's not what dad does at home. You know, and uh, we need to be very careful not to fall into that because it was easy then to be able to wonder and judge, judge those individuals. But it is very important to live out godly example to our children. And I've talked to so many parents who are going, well, I just want my kids to make their own decisions. And I'm looking at them, I'm going, okay, you want your kid to go to hell. No, I don't want that. I just want them to make their own, just put the right path in front of them. Do not, if they want to make the wrong decision, that's up to them. But don't, you know, let them make their own decision because they are awful, terrible sinners just like everybody else. And they're going to make bad decisions if we give them the opportunity to make a bad decision. And so Amaziah has a godly mother. And so we're looking at this in there. And then verse 2 says, He did that was right in the sight of the Lord, but, <laughs> but not with a perfect heart. And we're going to see in here how many times he is going to make decisions that look good from the world's point of view and 
Sometimes we'll follow God, sometimes we'll follow the world. Now, he is no different than most of us, that we don't follow God with a perfect heart. And, you know, we will violate this, and we're going to see in this chapter one place where he does what sounds really good by the world's point of view, and there's consequences for that action, and he's going to pay those consequences. And the problem is when the king doesn't follow God's will, those consequences affect the entire nation. And this is something that people will say oftentimes, well, I want to be a leader. I want to be recognized as a leader. Probably not. Because to be recognized as a leader means that there are consequences when you do wrong that don't affect just you. They affect whatever group that you're leading. And this is why James 3.1 tells us many of you ought not to be elders because the consequence is greater for them. The, require, the, the, the obligation is quiet, more, more strong. All right? Uh, yes, leaders are worthy of double honor. They should get the honor, but they're also worthy of double punishment. <laughs> when they don't do the right things, <laughs> they're, they're going to affect not only themselves, but everybody. And that's whether it's a husband with his family, a, a mother with her children, uh, a pastor, a deacon, uh, a Sunday school teacher, all those people have extra requirements upon them that have greater impact. Now, we still repent, we still do this, and it's, it doesn't lessen the impact of the people following them. They're still required to, to be good Bereans and do their own study and not follow that person blindly, but the leader ends up with more responsibility. And we've seen this over and over in Kings and Chronicles both, how when a king goes wrong, the nation goes wrong. When the king goes right, the nation will follow in, the, in, that, in that process. And here, Amaziah is basically your everyday Christian Christian. Sometimes makes good decisions, sometimes makes bad decisions. The only problem is he's also king. <laughs> And the king can't afford to have bad decisions. The leader really can't afford to have bad decisions because they lead their organization the wrong direction. And unfortunately, we know that that is not going to always be the case. And the first thing he does that is right, it says, now it came to pass when his kingdom was established under him, he got all of everything lined up. He got his servants in place. He got his uh, officers in charge of the army lined up that he slew the servants that killed his, his father, the king. All right? And remember the last chapter, they conspired against him and killed him, mostly because he deserved it, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> There's still, you don't take things into your own hands. God never uh, sanctions vigilantism. The government can be the one that is the one that carries the sword and discipline, but God does not say all right, you individuals go out and take justice into your own hands. And he even said it over and over, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And what is he saying? I will, I will repay them. I will use the government to repay them. I will use my own authority to repay them, but he is not expecting us. We as individuals and citizens, we're told to do what? Love them. Forgive them. All right? Uh, that is hard enough to do, but the government's job is to wield the sword and say, okay, you, you violated the law, you are going to be punished. 
That's their job. That is what they are supposed to do. Unfortunately, they don't do it very well in most cases. And even in the kings, we see oftentimes where they weren't good at doing this. And so, oh, I thought I heard somebody ask a question. Uh, and so he slew these individuals. And then verse 4 gives us a very interesting insight into his two-edged sword. He goes, but he slew not their children, but did as was written in the law of the book of Moses. And in case you want to know which, which law this is, it's Deuteronomy 24:16, And it says exactly what it says here. <laughs> the father doesn't get killed for the sins of the son. The sons don't get killed for the sins of the father. All right. God says that each person is responsible for their own sin. All right. Now, the, does that mean that there is no consequence for those sins that are going to affect the family? No, it happens frequently that if the father sets a bad example, the kids will follow in that example, but they're not going to be punished because of what their father did. They will be punished for what they did by following his example. And the father will have double judgment because he led his kids astray. So this is a really big thing that's out there is what kind of example do we set for those who are looking up at us, looking at us as being their leaders? And this is something that's very important. Now, does this mean that you led the wrong life most of your life or you're, you're out of luck with your kids? No, God can still redeem the season and, and restore. Is it harder? Absolutely, much harder. All right? Uh, it is much harder to redeem it back because they're looking at you, remembering all the stuff that you did and, and trying to use it against you at times. And, and you have to say, it doesn't matter. This is what God says. Of course they're going to use it as their excuse. And everybody does it all the time. Well, you, you set a bad example, so I'm going to follow your ex bad example. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You admitted it was a bad example, but you want to follow it anyway it does not make any sense, but that is the way the world does their logic. Well, you, it, was good, you know, it was good enough for you to live that way, I can do it too. Well, yeah, I realize that you had a bad, bad life and it led you down a lot of bad paths, but, I, but you, it was okay for you, I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's really sad, but that is what has happened. And much of our sinful nature is learned behavior. You see somebody who is an alcoholic will probably have alcoholic children. Somebody who's using drugs will usually have kids that use drugs. Playing around you know, uh, in the various areas, usually those things transfer to the kids. And I think it's a two-edged sword. I do believe part of the sin nature is in the DNA. Because I have seen things that I have learned that my dad used to do that I have tended to do. And I, and I never even knew that he did it until somebody go, well, your dad did the same thing. I'm going, okay. <laughs> so I think some of it, some of the sin nature does get into our very DNA. It's not, again, but it doesn't mean it can't be changed because what does God do to us when we're saved? We are a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which means God totally makes us over and we cannot just say, well, this is the way I've always been. This is, the, this is who I am. No, God made you a new creation. We can have victory over sin. We can have a new attitude towards sin, but we have to change the way we think. 
You know, because a lot of people, we hear it all the time. Well, you know, I'm just Irish, so I'm going to have a quick temper. I'm just, I'm just uh, Scottish. That means I'm going to be very frugal and make a penny scream. <laughs> and I don't spend any money. You know, uh, you know, we don't want to have that, you know, necessarily being our excuse. Because God is making us somebody new. And here we see him doing it right. He is following the law. And it makes sense to him to follow the law. Somebody just killed his dad. He's going to make sure they pay. And the law allows it. <laughs> and he's going to follow the law very carefully on this one. And he's going to be very specific on it. Verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war that could handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if you will go, do it, and be strong for the battle. God shall make you, make you fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. All right, so we're going to stop right there. Amaziah numbers his people for an army of 20 years and older that can fight. And he comes up with 300,000 fighting men. That's a pretty good sized army. All right. But as he went in there, he decided it wasn't enough. He went to Israel, the northern kingdom, and hired another 100,000 mercenaries for 100 talents of silver. Now. This is going to be a problem for him because the, the man of God is going to come in and talk to him about this. And it says, O king, let not the army of Israel go with you, for Israel does not follow your God. Israel at this time was worshiping all these different idols, uh, the golden calf worship, Baal, uh, Ashdoreth, and he hires a bunch of sinners, basically known sinners. I mean, not that they were any less sinners in Judah, but these ones were obviously more sinful because they were worshiping other gods. And one of the things that we know that we need to be careful with is who do we make our associations with? Who are our friends and comrades? Now, does this mean we can't have lost people as friends? No, we need to have lost friends, people as friends. But how close and intimate a friend are they? And you all know what I mean. You've got your BFFs, and then you've got your friends. All right? This is the person I hang out with. This is when I've got a problem. I talk to this person. And he's bringing in 100,000 idol worshipers to join his army. Now, you can picture what's going to happen in this case. And this is you get ready to go to battle, and, what, and everybody's going to be praying to their gods. You got one quarter of your army not praying to God. And anybody who's not really following God closely will go, well, maybe I'm going to cover all my bases and I'll go pray to those other gods as well. And we have lots of people who do that, even in Christianity. 
that, well, you know, I'm going to follow God, except maybe he might not be good enough to cover all this, so I'm going to do things some other way. And we need to be very careful about that. When I talk about salvation, I know that there is only one way to heaven and one way only. And, I'm, and I've said many times, I'm a manager. I like to have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H, you know, in place just in case something goes wrong. But when it comes to salvation, it's plan A or nothing. It is Jesus Christ or nothing. And if I've made the wrong choice, I'm in trouble. Now, the good news is after walking for 40 plus years, 50 plus years with him, I know he's the right answer. I don't have any doubt in my mind, but he cannot have, well, I need a little bit of Jesus, I need a little bit of Buddha, I need a little bit of uh, Krishna, I need a little bit of all these other things. No, that is not putting your trust and faith in Jesus. And here he's setting up a problem for his army. So is that what he means by all the children of Ephraim? Ephraim is the northern kingdom. Yeah, they're in the northern kingdom. They're, they're all the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, remembers does not have a good king ever. Their very first king said, well, I can't have the people going to Jerusalem to worship, which is what they were required to do. So he set up golden calves in Dan and right at the border on the way to Jerusalem and told the people, these are your gods. So golden calf worship was through the northern kingdom from the time it started all the way till the time it went into captivity. And every other god that they could figure came up and down through the, through the time. So by hiring these people, is, it, is there a chance that some of the 100,000 were actually followers of Jews? Maybe, but probably not. Because uh, they still claim to be Jews, even though they never really worshipped God in their... Um, so he hires these people for 100,000, uh, 100 talents of silver. And the man of God says to him, let not the army of Israel go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel. Israel has been cursed. They're going to go into captivity and we're getting real close to their going into captivity. Now, having said all of this, the northern kingdom, the prophets in the northern kingdom had a very hard job telling everybody that God was going to curse them because they were prosperous, they were winning battles, they were getting larger as a nation. Everything looked good. So when the prophets would come in and say, God is going to judge you, they're going, says who? Look how prosperous we are. We've got money in the bank. We are, we've got food coming out, of, you know, coming out of our barns everywhere. Uh, we're winning battles in, in there. But when God sent the judgment... All of that went out the window quickly. And it didn't mean they went straight into judgment. They lost everything very quickly. And it reminds me of what's going on in America. You know, you know 20 years ago, people were going, well, America's doing good. We're, we've got prosper, money in the bank. You know, everything's looking good. And now we're looking at it and going, what happened to our country? Where is the country that, that we remember? Where is the country of freedom, the country that loved love prosperity and we're going we're not there we're seeing the same type of thing that the northern kingdom was saying yeah everything's good for us you know hosea jeremiah uh, uh, elijah elisha what what's wrong with you guys everything is good we're being blessed these gods that we're following are blessing us and we're being prosperous and nothing's going wrong 
and these people, these 100,000 mercenaries were very good fighters at that because the, the northern kingdom was winning battles. And this is why Amaziah went out to, to hire them. He goes, okay, I've got an army that is okay. They're, they're good, but we're going we're gonna to support them with some veterans, some guys that really know how to fight. You know, they'll, they'll give us the example of how to fight, which, of course, then would mean they're going to pray to their gods and all the other things that, that would be their, what they would attribute their strength to. So this is the battle that's coming up, and the, and the prophet comes to him and says, you cannot bring these people. And it reads very interesting in the King James, it says, um, in verse 4, but if you will go, do it, be strong in the battle, and it says, God shall make you fall before your enemies, for God has power to help or to cast down. Literally, this means that the you is not in the Hebrew. The Lord is able to cast down and make fall. In other words, he's saying, God will be your defense. If you will just go with what you're supposed to go with, God will defend you. How many times do we get ready for a battle, spiritual battle, and we try to do it our way rather than God's way? God, if I can just put together the right plan, the right activities, the right people, uh, don't really care if they're saved or not. And this is one of my problems with a lot of churches. A lot of churches go out and they evangelize by bringing people in to key positions that aren't saved. And I don't understand that mentality. I want saved people in key positions. But they use it as an evangelism thing and hope that they get saved by being in the church all the time. It works. It's between the pastor, pastor and them. But I look at a verse like this and say, and what a dumb idea. Because if they don't get saved, everybody's looking at them and saying, oh, that's a leader in the church. They're, that's what Christianity is all about. So I have a problem with that kind of evangelism style. I've seen many, many churches that do it, and I've seen some good guys come out of, out of it. So I can't judge that. I just say, I can't do it. Because I look at the Bible and say, God, you're, that's not what you're saying to do. But it works well from the world's point of view. Well, we need, a, we, need some, we need a guitar player and a drummer. Well, that guy over there is in a band. We'll, you know, we'll bring him in. doesn't know anything about God, but we'll bring him in for Christian music and to be our guitar player and our drummer. And it's like, okay, what are we telling the church? You know, what are we telling the church about God's ability to supply? What are we telling the church about leadership positions and examples? And I have a problem with it. Now, again, I know lots of churches do it. <laughs> I just, I look at a verse like this and, you know, and say, I cannot, I cannot sanction it. You know, believe me, I've, I've looked at it sometimes. I go, boy, it would really be nice if we just get this person to come in and maybe they'll hear God's message by having to be there every Sunday. And that's what the logic is. And it's a good worldly, worldly way of doing things. And the problem I have is how many times do we as Christians do things the world's way and expect God to bless it? happens all the time in our own lives, in, in churches, in business, and we go, I want to do it. Well, God, you know, the world says it needs to be done this way, so I'm going to do it this way, and God, you just, you're going to bless me doing it the world's way because it's a really good idea. And I would quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding or the world's understanding, 
In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Too many times we make decisions based on our own understanding, the world's way of doing things rather than God's way. Now, God sometimes blesses the, the world's way. Thank God for grace. Was it the best decision? Probably not. I would, make, I would want to do things God's way and, and, and watch what he does rather than do things the world's way and, and depend on grace being the answer. Amaziah is saying, I need, I need some veterans to strengthen my army. I'm going to go hire mercenaries, guys that really know how to, how to battle. And the prophet says, you cannot let these. God will stand or fall. And if you bring them, you're going to fall. If you don't bring them, God will still bless. And he goes, the battle is the Lord's. We have to really recognize when we're trying to make our plans for it, ultimately the battle belongs to God. And God likes doing very strange things. You know, Gideon, you're coming in with 30,000, uh, you know, 100,000 men and against uh, three times as many, and he says you have too many men. Cut it down to 30,000, you still have way too many men. Cut it down to 300. Can you imagine those poor 300 men? They're saying, you, you, you guys are the ones that are going to battle these 100,000 man army. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having to stand out amongst all the leaders in that entire valley to not bow down be, to the idol. And then have to go strand before the king directly and refuse to stand, uh, to, to relent. How scary would that have been? I mean, we celebrate them all the time. But how many of us could have actually been strong and done that? How many of us would have been Daniel praying to God even though we knew it was wrong and having to defend ourselves in front of the king and then being cast into the lion's den? You know, granted, good things happened out of the deal, but each one of them did not know what was going to happen. Because I've always loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar said, who can deliver you from my hand? Not your God, our God. They said very clearly, our God is able, but whether he does or he does not, we will still follow God. Now, is that the answer that we're ready to make in, in situations that we face? It needs to be. And I can say I've done it on some occasions. I haven't done it on some occasions. I haven't been life-threatening on some uh, in, uh, for my life. But... We're getting, coming into a day and age where things are getting tougher for Christians. And we may face times when we may end up in prison or executed for our belief. Are we ready to say, God, I am following you no matter what? We need to be understanding that that's coming, coming our way. Our world is getting harder and harder, even in America, to be a Christian. Now, um, been following, you know, this month is Gay Pride Month. Uh, all the companies are pushing for it, and I'm kind of ticking off, is there any company that I can go to that isn't participating in Gay, gay Pride Month because I'm tired of dealing with companies that are trying to push a social agenda down my throat. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of them. Now, so we need to be making decisions. How are we going to live? 
And the sad thing is when I see Christian organizations that are following into this whole, whole process, God has standards. Am I judging those people following? No, it's God's calls what they're doing sin. They can do what they want because they stand and fall before God, but I am not going to say that what they do is okay. I'm not going to say that somebody who's living together outside of marriage is okay, even though the world says they are. I'm not going to be looking at any of these things that are sin and say it's okay. Now, am I going to judge them and say you can't come to church because of it? No. I want them in church. <laughs> I want them in church so they can hear the word of God and hear the truth so they might be able to make the decision for God. And then God will come inside and change their heart. And this is the good news for us. All we do is minister to people. We can say, God calls that sin, but you're still loved by God. And that's important. God does not reject us just because we are in sin because Jesus died for our sin. And when we're Christians, he lives inside us, so he changes us from the inside out so that we will be more like him and not commit those sins. And I've shared this with so many people because they'll go, well, how do I convince so-and-so that this is a sin? If you have to convince them it's a sin, don't worry about it. Find something that they know is a sin. There's plenty of things that everybody knows is a sin. You know, if they're living together outside of marriage, you know, well, I'm not going to hammer them on the fact that they're committing adultery and fornication. I'm going to go, do you lie? Do you steal? Do you use God's name in vain? I'm going to go into the sins that they know they have. And then God can work from the inside out to change them in the other quote-unquote big sins. So we want to keep this in mind of what's going on. So this man said, God will be the one that will win the battle for you or make you fall whichever way it will be and this is what we have to understand that God is the one that is in control if he wants me to victor be victorious I'll have the power to be victorious if he wants me to fail I will fail plain and simple it doesn't matter how good my plan is or how bad my plan is if God's on my side, I can have the worst plan that's ever been put together by man and still be successful. And if God is not on the side that I'm going in, I could have the very best plan that has ever been put together by man and still fail. Because God will keep, have his way. And this is what he's telling the king. <laughs> You're making a bad decision, king. You're bringing people in that aren't godly into your army. And God is not going to bless that situation. And here we go with this uh, verse 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall I do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah separated them to wit the army that had come to him out of Ephraim to go home Wherefore their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. This is the consequence for his disobedience, and we're going to see how bad that, that decision was. Amaziah, you have now spent money that you should not have spent. Send them back anyway. How many times have we done, you done, I done, <laughs> something that cost us greatly because I was disobedient to God, doing things the world's way? And there was cost, whether it was time, money, uh, 
uh, effort, whatever it might be, I invested in things wrong. And even when I tried to correct my situation, it still cost. Because that was something that can never be bought back again. And here, Amaziah was told, you know, you're worried about 100 talents of silver. God can easily give you back 100 talents of silver. But we're going to read later on that it was costing much more than 100 talents of silver. So the army was paid, but they still went away angry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, the biggest part of your pay for going into battle was the loot and the, and the booty that you got for winning the battle. So if you were hired and then sent away, okay, yes, I got money. I didn't put my life at, at danger, but I lost a lot, especially these veterans. I lost a lot of opportunity to make a whole lot of money like when I killed these guys and got the gold and silver and the, and the metal. So this is why they're angry. Okay, I didn't yeah, they're angry because yes, they got paid for coming down, or the king of Judah, probably a uh, king of I- of Israel, probably got paid and not them. Uh, okay, uh, he, sent them. he sent them, yeah. and now they're sent back, and now they've lost their opportunity to go to war. So, either way, whether they got paid or the king got paid, they're unhappy because they have just lost a major chunk of pay. Uh, and they're going to go against an army that was not the greatest army in, in existence. So they were pretty sure they were going to win. So that's why they're upset. And besides, you've just marched down to Israel, now, uh, to Judah. Now you're marching back. Uh, you've just wasted, you've wasted time, too, that you could have been taking care of your, your flocks and your, and your uh, fields. You had to hire somebody else. So there's a lot going on in, in this decision. They, they're going back angry. Um, and so we have this going on, and the man of God just says, God is able to do much more, much more, give you much more. And this is what we need to remember. When we serve God, sometimes we think it's costing us a bunch of stuff to, to serve God. But God gives back so much more. When Jesus was talking to the disciples and saying that you need to give up mother and father, the disciples said, now we've given up, we've given up mother and father and family, and Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? You haven't given up anything. You've got more than you, than you had. And this is the thing about being in a family of God. All of a sudden, you've got fathers, you've got mothers, you've got brothers and sisters, you've got you know, others that you're taking care of. And it's a wonderful thing to be in the family of God. I've loved it when I've traveled and I go to a church somewhere, anywhere, and it's like, I'm just with family can't tell you how many times I talk to my oldest son and find out that his pastor and I have taught basically the same message. Not word for word, but the same, not even, even from the same scripture necessarily, but the same topic. How many times do we listen to the Christian radio cha- uh, channels and find these guys all talking about the same thing during, during a week? Because God has put it on the heart of them to, to be talking about it. And you know that it's the Holy Spirit orchestrating this. Not, they didn't all get together and say, okay, what are we talking about this week? Let's all get everybody on the same page. It just, the Holy Spirit put it into place. Does that mean every single church has exactly the same no- message? No, every church is at a different place and there can be different, different messages. But you will find when you look at spiritual churches 
but overall their messages are very similar over over given given time period. Now, yes, there are some where churches having various problems that God's going to say we're going to speak to that problem, and it doesn't affect the rest of the rest of the body of Christ as much. But you see it over and over again, and it's an amazing thing. When I'm preparing for a message, I hear these messages talking about what I'm going to talk about, or I get done talking about it, and I hear messages talking about what <laughs> what I talked about. You know, it's just the way the Spirit brings everything together. And it's a wonderful thing to know that we are one. We are one body of Christ, even though there are millions or at least hundreds of thousands of churches out there. And it is wonderful because this was the message. God give you so much more. He goes, don't worry about it. And they leave angry. Verse 11 says, And Amaziah strengthened himself and led forth his people and went to the valley of salt and smote of the children of Seir 10,000. And, and other 10,000 left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive and brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock that they were broken into pieces. But the soldiers of the army which... Oops, let's, start, let's start with the battle before we go to this but. <laughs> Amaziah takes his 300,000 men and he basically beats the stuffing off out of the uh, people of Seir or the Edomites. In battle, they kill 10,000 Edomites. They capture 10,000. Now, this one here is something that really bothers me in verse 12, is they take them up to the top of a cliff and cast them off the cliff. Um, why? I have no idea. It was not really what God ever told them to do. They, it was not godly to send them off the, off the cliff. What were they trying to do? I don't know. Maybe they were retaliating against something the Edomites had done to them in the past because it wasn't uncommon in that day for people to be vicious against, against their captives. Uh, it's only in recent years that people are supposed to take care of their captives and, uh, and treat them nice You know, within the last hundred or so years uh, before that if you surrendered you didn't really surrender because you didn't know how you were going to be treated the people would have their eyes poked out they would be crippled they would be drugged through the streets I mean there were a lot of violent things done so they to they tormented the people that were captive so it may be that they were being you know payback you guys did this to us we're going to now kill you by throwing you off a cliff it could be that they were just doing things the world's way and saying, we're going to make you scared to death of us because, you know, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to, we're going to take the captured and we're just going to kill you. We don't know exactly what was going on with this reasoning behind it um, because there's not enough there. But it is kind of a scary thought because the world is vindictive. The world is very harsh on people. And even in recent years, we, we've seen this happen, you know, World War II. People wanted to be captured by the Americans because we took care of our prisoners. The German prison, prisoners might, or might make it to a prison camp or might not. And Russians, you did make it to a prison camp with Russia. People did not want to be captured by the Russians or even set free by the Russians because the Russians were very harsh to them the same type of thing that's happening here. The world's way 
is vicious so often. And this is what was going on. And this is another example of where Amaziah is doing things the world's way. He was hiring. He was ready to hire mercenaries. Now in battle, he's ready to do things the way the world does it rather than the way God says to be. They were at the top of the rocks and they cast them down and they broke them in pieces. It would be like taking them up to Windy Point and throwing them off the cliff. That's what he was talking about. They're evil. It's very evil. Mm -hmm. This is a very evil thing that they have done. Uh, there's no respect for the value of life. There's no caring about it. And this is why I don't know if they were just being worldly and saying, we're going to make you so afraid of us, or if they were paying back for something that had happened before. We don't know. There's nothing here to tell us. Verse 13, but the soldiers of the army which Amaziah sent back, that they should not go with him to battle, fell upon the cities of Judah, from Samaria unto Beth-horon, and smote 3,000 of them, and took much spoil. So these guys who got really angry because they were not sent to war decided, okay, we're just going to attack cities on our way back home. We're going to get our spoil. We're going to get our spoil. We're going to get our pay. Here is the consequence for his sin. All right. He already lost 100, you know, 100 pieces, uh, a talent of silver, which is a lot of silver. And now he's losing 3,000 people and a bunch of treasure and stuff from those cities. This was a huge consequence. And you note, the one who's paying for that consequence is not Amaziah. The people paid for this. Poor people, you know, they're watching these guys march down, and now they're watching them march back. And I don't know that there was any warning that they were going to attack. They just came to a city and attacked it. And OK, we're not getting our, we're not getting our uh, booty down there, we'll just take it with us as we go through these cities. You know, uh, and so basically, they're killing non-combatant people because the army of fighters is on the south side. So they're basically fighting old men, children, and women, and taking what they want. And they kill 3,000 non-soldier people to come in because they're angry. Now, this is a pretty serious consequence. How many times through the scriptures have we seen the consequences of actions fall on those that did not really deserve the consequence? David numbers the people of Israel and loses 30,000 people because he numbers the people. And God brings judgment on them. Over and over again, when leaders go the wrong way, the people suffer. And this is where we are in our country, where we don't have leaders making godly decisions. The country is suffering because of it. And we're not the only country that has that happen. We just live here, so I know, I know very much what goes on in this country. We have ungodly decisions being made, and God is bringing judgment upon this country. And most of it is judgment for their ungodly decisions, because ungodly decisions have a consequence always. Then God doesn't even have to be involved, and we all know that. I make a bad decision, I reap what I sow. And it doesn't have God standing there, well, let's see, they did this, so I got to do this, this, and this. No, it is just a law that he has put in place that we reap what 
we sow. And over and over again, this happens in the scriptures. Okay. Verse 14. Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down to him himself before them and burned incense unto them. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah and he sent unto him a prophet which said, and said unto him, Why have you sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of your hand? And it came to pass as he talked to him that the king said to him, Are you made a king's counselor? Forbear, why should you be smitten? Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not hearkened unto my counsel. All right, Amaziah goes to battle. Part of his uh, loot was the gods of the people of Edom. And he decided that he was going to worship those gods. Now, this does not make, it happens all through the scripture. It doesn't make sense to me that when a, when a nation loses a battle, to start worshiping the gods of the losing side does not make sense. And this is exactly what the prophet says. Why are you worshiping the gods that could not deliver you, deliver them from you? you know, and it doesn't make any sense, but how many times do we do just that in our own lives? We start worshiping gods that, that aren't gods that couldn't keep God from doing something, and yet we will turn around and worship those things, money, work, family, hobbies, whatever it might be, and we know they don't work, and yet we turn from God to worship them. And Amaziah's answer, and this is where he's not again, again serving God right, basically interpreted, shut up or I'm going to kill you. All right, a little, little nicer in the ways, but that's really what it is. I don't want to hear the rebuke. Be quiet or I'm going to kill you. And this prophet wasn't very bold in one sense. He shut up. But he did say, God is going to judge you. And his parting shot. God is determined to punish you for this activity. This is a sad state. Amaziah starts out godly. He follows God in, in you know, bringing judgment to, to his father's murderers. And he's obeying God by not going after their children. He's doing a lot of good things. He's, he listened to the first prophet and said, okay, I'm going to send, I'm going to send these 100,000 men back. Now, why do you think he might be so hard on this guy? What was the result of sending those 100,000 men? He lost 100 talents of silver. And he lost 3,000 citizens and a bunch of, bunch of taxes. So he's probably a little perturbed with God. God, I listened to your first prophet, and look what it did. Look what I got because I obeyed your first prophet, which might be why he went to worship these other gods. He's a little angry at God. God, you did not do what I wanted you to do. Therefore, I'm going to find some other gods. And when he's judged by the prophet of God, he says, you know, I'm not listening to you prophets anymore. If you keep talking, I'm going to execute you. Now, 
This was not an uncommon thing. The Jewish prophets, even in Judah, were often executed for speaking for God. This is something that we need to be ready to face. There may come a time when we're going to face execution, imprisonment for standing with God. We need to be ready. I've always loved, and I bring this out all the time, when you read the book of Acts, what was the apostles' answer when they would be beaten? Thank God we were found worthy to suffer. We need to get that mindset into our brain. Because when we start suffering, and it's not a question of if in our generation, unless we have a revival, it is when we start suffering, we need to be able to say, thank God I was found worthy of suffering. Because if we're not ready to say that, what are we going to do when we're facing with suffering? Oh, not me, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word. You guys can do what you want. You can all go to hell. I don't care. I'm not going to say a word. Because I'm not going to suffer. We need to make sure we have the attitude, I'm going to stand for God. And if you want to be well known in the kingdom, you're going to have to stand for God. You know, we look at this, we have all these stories of these people who stand up for God. I've, I've always wondered how many people did not stand for God during those periods of time, who did not get their name in the book because they decided to just fold and do things the world's way. And I've said this over and over, my hope and my prayer is that I end well. I do not want to be one that just folds a, like a house of cards under pressure. I turn to God, and my prayer often to God has been, God, I want to finish well. Over this years that I've been walking with God, I've seen so many people that did not finish well. They got older. They made, when times got hard, they made decisions to not be obedient. Did they lose their salvation? No, I don't think they lost their salvation. They just made a series of bad decisions. And if you were to judge them by that period of time, you go, they were never saved in the first place, and I'm not going to go that far. I, I know people who look at them, look at certain people I know and go, I don't think they were ever saved. And I go, well, I knew them when they were very strong and on fire for God. I think they were saved. They could have fooled me, or they fool, or, or they fooling you. I don't know. It's not my call. It's between them and God. You know, and this is the thing about it. When we meet people, where in their lifespan are we meeting them? Now, there are people that God has changed so dramatically, you know that they're on fire for God, and yet people remember them from, from before they got on fire for God and do nothing but judge them for their, their past deeds. There are those who, who go the other way. They're not ending well, and people judge them by what they're seeing them do now rather than their past deeds. And it's kind of interesting that people always want to look at the bad side of you, no matter what, whether it's in the past or the future. They don't want to look at what was done right at all or what is being done right. You know, there are those that think that people don't change. And if you've changed, it's only going to last a little while until you change back to what you were. You know, and so we want to just look and say, God makes a new creation out of us. And we as Christians need to be looking at those people that are saved and making changes and saying, I'm going to encourage your change. You know, what ends up happening so often, somebody, you know, stops drinking. And what is the expectation of everybody? How long is it going to be before they fall off the wagon? You know, and that, 
becomes a self-fulfilling pro prophecy for many families. You know, they're just waiting for you to, to, to fall back, fall back to where you were, fall back into your alcohol, fall back into your drugs, fall back. And it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because nobody encourages the good that is being done. We need to make sure that we're looking at what's being done, build somebody up, edify them. When they do fall, encourage them and say, just repent and get back up. We need Christians who are able to help each other get lifted up and move forward because the world is out there to condemn, always. Well, you fell. We knew you were going to fall. You're not getting back up. And Proverbs tells us that the righteous man falls th three times and gets back up. Seven times. Seven times. Excuse me. What is he saying? He knows we're going to fall. But he expects us to get back up and be lifted back up. And our job as Christians is to help them be lifted up, not sit there and, ah, you're so terrible. Get back up. You know, pull yourself back up by your own bootstraps. And if you, if you get back to where you belong, we might, we might uh, let you back into the church. What an encouraging word that is. No, come on. God's, God's still going to forgive you. He's still got grace for you. He still has mercy. Let's get back up. Let's keep serving. We need to understand that. And we need to be dealing with one another in those kind of terms. And you know what? It's hard. I understand how hard it is when you watch somebody you know, fall flat on their face and you help them back up. They fall flat on their face. You help them back up. They fall flat on their face and you're like, I'm tired of this game. You know, would you quit falling down? How many of us would tell our little toddler, well, you fell down three times. I'm not picking you up to walk anymore. <laughs> not doing it. You, you haven't learned. You're not learning. You know, I don't know how many times my kids fell down and had to be picked back up and fell down and had to be picked back up. And yet we don't treat Christians with that same loving care when they're learning to walk. They're learning to do whatever. I loved sports. I did not learn to play soccer, which was the first sport I remember learning to play and being good at it the very first time I went out on the, on the, on the field. I made lots and lots of mistakes, and I had to learn. And then I'd make lots and lots of mistakes, and I had to learn. And anybody who's t ever taken up some anything, it doesn't matter what it is, if you're somebody that cooks, how many times did you burn the food before you got it right? How many times did you over-season it before you got it right? I mean, there's all these things that we do, and it doesn't matter what we do. Einstein said that the person who has never made a mistake has never done anything new. <laughs> and it really is true. If we're doing anything new, the chances of making a mistake the first five dozen times we do it are probably very great. And yet, we tend to be harsh on Christians that make mistakes. They're doing something new, I hope. They're trying to live for God. And they're influenced by the world. So you're trying to step out for God, and you're doing, trying to do things that's God's, uh, the world's way, and you're going to fail. And then you're going to get judged because people don't realize that you're trying something new and they've never tried something new in, for decades and, and they're going to cast the stones at you for trying to do something. We need to be very careful. We want to learn to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to help everybody to live in this way. And this prophet told Amaziah, you didn't listen. God is going to bring judgment. And we're going to see that judgment falling on him next week. And something else, too, 
Yeah, it's my fault, God, but uh, it's still your fault. Yeah. I'm going to go somewhere else because I got slapped in the head. Yeah, and I think that's what we saw here with Amaziah. God, I lost, I lost 100 talents of silver, and I lost 3,000 people, and I lost some tax funds. I'm not, paying, I'm not paying attention to you anymore. It's all your fault, God. I did the wrong, I did the, I did the wrong thing, but it's all your fault. <laughs> but you're right, we tend to do that a lot. We tend to do that a lot. I, we get spanked, we get disciplined, and it's all God's fault. And uh, this is what Amaziah is doing, and it's going to hurt him in the long run. All right. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Give us a greater understanding of your love for us and your kindness for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.